Let's just get this going because I got a lot of stuff to talk about and I got an empty house for about another hour before I get drug out to a family supper. Not drug out. It's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. From the Soups on Hockey family to you. I'm co-owner of Soups on Hockey, Tyler Campbell. I'm also the other co-owner of Soups on Hockey, Tyler Campbell. And the Edmonton Oilers are 5-0. and to start the season. So when they're 5-0, and I kind of feel like I have to do a podcast when the Oilers are 5-0. and And uh, I was actually trying to do one last week, and I thought, eh, you know, it's not the right time, didn't have enough time, all that stuff. Finally have time here on Thanksgiving Monday to lay something down. And so that's exactly what I'll do. As I'm looking something up right now, immediately I become disorganized and start looking up my season prognostications piece, because there was a quote in there. I think it was in there. It might have been on the podcast. Nope, it wasn't in there. It was on the podcast. <laughs> Speaking of the Oilers being five on five and zero. Oh, um. Okay, I'll get to that. Let's let's do this first. This is this is called soups on hockey, so I should talk some hockey other than the Oilers. So let's talk about this. Austin Matthews. And last year at this time, it was starting to get nauseating, all the talk of Austin Matthews being as good as Connor McDavid. Oh, jeez. Toronto media and, and the national media in general was just running with that. Yeah, Matthews is as good as McDavid. Oh, he's as good as McDavid. And I said the same thing last year that I'll say today. Like, Austin Matthews, man, he's Mr. October. Like, as the Boston Bruins scored, David Pasternak, nice play. 2 nothing Bruins over the Ducks as I record this. Information that'll be completely irrelevant by the time... Oh, there's Dallas Aikens. Completely irrelevant by the time you listen to this. Cam Fowler, puck skips over his stick. He gets, oh, he gets picked off. Oh, no, that's Hampus Lindholm. Ooh, Hampus Lindholm. It's funny. I'm, I'm getting distracted. That's what I usually do. Um, didn't the Ducks have the best young blue line in the league in 2017? And weren't they just spectacular and on and on and on? And haven't they not got rid of anyone? Like, this Ducks blue line, it's funny. This Ducks blue line was being called by some as the best in the league when they were playing the Oilers in the 2017 playoffs. And I remember watching the Oilers have their way with them and think, no, they're the most cost-efficient blue line in the league. They're the best bang-for-your-buck blue line in the league. They are far. They're, they're potentially the best blue line in the league, but far, far, far from being the best blue line in the league at that time. Here we are three years later, well, two and a half, and this Ducks blue line isn't any better, might be even a little worse. Who have they got rid of? Brandon Montour? Meh. You know, like that's that's not a big hit. They still got Fowler, still got Lindholm, still got Manson. Those guys have never progressed. Anyway, wasn't what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about Mr. October, Austin Matthews. 
And I'm not trying to be an Oilers fan shitting on Matthews. You know, I read the other day, oh, Oilers fans just hate Matthews because he's a Leaf. I, well, personally, I don't hate Matthews at all. Um, I do get that some Oilers fans do hate Austin Matthews. I don't think it's because he's a Leaf. I think it, it contributes. But I think just as much, if not more so, it's the star Canadian versus the star American. And it's also the overrating of Austin Matthews that gets under fans' skin. Because he does. He gets overrated. And it's not to say overrated does not mean sucks. But you could make a very good argument for Austin Matthews being the fourth best player on the Leafs. Now that speaks also to how great of team the Leafs got. But Austin Matthews is not Connor McDavid's equal as a player. He is... A one of the league's best snipers. He is a very big threat to the Rocket Richard Trophy this year and will be for years. You know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. McDavid is Crosby and Matthews is Stamkos. In style of play, that is who they are. Well, what have the Tampa Bay Lightning done with Steven Stamkos this year? Finally, John Cooper has him on the wing. Not because John Cooper didn't want to put him on the wing. John Cooper wanted to put him on the wing back in 2015. But Steven Stamkos wouldn't go. And if you remember, that was a big point of contention for the Lightning and Stamkos. Was, and one of the reasons Cooper and, or the big reason Cooper and Stamkos butted heads for a lot of years and Stamkos nearly left was because Cooper wanted to put him on the wing and Stamkos didn't want to play the wing. But here was the thing, Stephen Stamkos, is you're a winger. Your talents are, but you, you've never evolved as a center. So how, how can you justify playing center? When you've never evolved your overall game, that you need to be a star number one line center. Anyway, Austin Matthews, that is the thing, though, that I'll always argue for with Austin Matthews, is he has that in his game. I've heard Mike Babcock say that, too. Austin Matthews has the ability to be an Andre Kopitar. I always use Andre Kopitar as that example because I just I love Andre Kopitar. Right now, Leon Dreisaitl looks like Andre Kopitar to me, which is like in my world is one of the biggest compliments you can give to someone uh, is, is having that just superstar 200 foot type game. We're just all, you're all over the ice right now. Austin Matthews, isn't that guy. He's got that ability, but he's not that guy. That's why, that's why Mike Babcock doesn't use him that much. That's why my, that's why everybody goes, well, why are his minutes done? Because he can't play tough minutes. Mike Babcock doesn't trust him to play tough minutes. That's why his ice time's down. He's not Connor McDavid. And I'm not hearing a lot of that this year, but it's just Austin Matthews. This is like the, is it the third? Is this, is, this is fourth year. He started scorching hot every year. This is not new. He lives off, he lives off, well, now he's living on his off wing on the power play. But before he was li- living high, high circle on his strong side on the power play. Like three quarters of his goals were coming from that spot. Maybe not quite that many, but it was a ton. It was the large majority of his goals were coming from that spot. And 
that's what we're going to say is the best hockey player in the world is a guy who can snipe from the same spot every time? Like you imbeciles, Alex Ovechkin's been doing that same trick for 15 years. And, you know, you got off that bandwagon a decade ago that he's the best player in the league. Jeez. This the stupidity of some of the people in the media. It just blows my mind. Anyway, uh, another McDavid comparison that bothered me. I'll get to the, the one out of town thing that relates to the Oilers that everybody wants here in a second. But I'm watching the Stars and Flames on Thursday night. And uh, I can't remember what was said. I want to say it was on a hit that Ryan Leslie did during the broadcast. And they were talking about how Rupe hints. They now believe he's as fast as Connor McDavid. So, you know, we got, we always got someone every month who's as good as Connor McDavid. In October, it's Austin Matthews. Probably in January, it's Elias Pettersson. I think last year, it might have even been November for Elias Pettersson. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure Kucherov will work his way into that conversation at some point. Uh, it's just, it's just on and on and on. Every month, someone's as good as Connor McDavid. Well, now it's Rupe Hints is as fast as Connor McDavid. Well, the thing here, and I'm really high on Rupe Hints, guys, big and fat. Like he is, his wheels are awesome. And I am maybe a bigger proponent of speed than anyone else in the league right now. I, I, or anyone else who podcasts right now and blogs and does all this shit. Uh, as the Ducks break out on a three-on-one, go to the high man, go to the high man. Oh, it winds up, takes a shot, barely even a chance. I'm not sure who that was for the Ducks that took the shot. It was an awful decision. I know that. Might have been Getzlav. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Sorry, I shouldn't get distracted watching the game, but hey, it's hockey. I like hockey. Big fan. Uh, we can measure player speed. This is dumb to say, oh, we think he might be as good as Rupe. No, you can look it up. Saying, oh, we think he's as fast as Connor McDavid. You, you kind of, you, you have the ability to measure that now. So you don't, you don't need to, or you kind of takes away the ability to sensationalize it like you're doing. Hints isn't as fast as Connor McDavid. Hints is in the same category as, Andreas Athanasiu, and he's in the same category as Miles Wood and probably Nathan McKinnon, like that tier right below. And why are they never as fast as Nathan McKinnon? Why are they never as fast as Miles Wood? Why are they never as fast as Andreas Athanasiu? You know, they, they never are. They're always as fast as Connor McDavid. Like,. <laughs> Well, I know it's not anything. It doesn't mean anything. I know this. It's just something that, fuck, it bugs me. Like, it really just irks me to say to be that stupid about something. Oh, we think he's as fast as Connor McDavid. Well, A, you have the ability to measure that. And B, like, really? What does it mean? You're just saying Connor McDavid's name to, to make ears perk up. Is what you're trying to do. I guess sensationalize. I don't know. It's. I think you all know. And I think. (laughs) 
it's probably pretty self-explanatory why it bugs me. But yeah, and it is pointless to get hot about it. But something that, you know, it bugs me. It bugs me the same way James Neal bugged Eric Francis this week. Woo! Ken King is going to have to pay Eric Francis a lot more money these days. Because was he ever in spin mode after James Neal had his four-goal performance? And here's where I just kind of go, really? Eric Francis says James Neal would have never got those minutes at the Flames. Really? I know that the Flames and their fans... Well, the Flames, you know, Calgary media and their fans, they love the 3M line. And that is a good line. That is a not just a line that can put up numbers, but you can put them out against the opposition's best. And they are they are one of the best. Well, that's a weak goal, Yaroslav Halak. What a not real great snipe but by Ricard Raquel. Makes it 2-1. Ducks, totally irrelevant to those of you who are listening. Bruce Cassidy looking up at the scoreboard saying, how the fuck did that get in the net? Second goal of the year for Ricard Raquel at 17.52, and the Ducks are back in the game late here in the second period. Uh, Eric Francis, like, and all this shit with the Flames, like, you can't move Elias Lindholm to that line. You can't put Mike Froelich on the third line. You couldn't put James Neal on the top line in Calgary. Really? You couldn't do that? You couldn't do all that? Seriously. Seriously. James Neal comes in this season to Calgary the way he's looked in Edmonton. You couldn't use that guy on your top line and then bump down Froelich and bump down Lindholm. Like Lindholm came into Calgary. That was his thing. Was He was a jack-of-all-trades, very trustworthy type player. You know, you, you give the 3M line, or now the 2M and 1L line, or no, they're Matt Kachuk and Michael, yeah, so I guess it'd be 2M and 1E, the me line, me, you give that line to all the tough minutes, Goudreau and Monaghan, I mean, Goudreau and Monaghan, that never gets talked about in Calgary. You know, we, you look at how the playoffs ended last year and people go, well, what's wrong with the Flames? Well, one thing that's wrong with the Flames is Goudreau and Monaghan, you can't put them out against the opposition's best. You have to, you have to find ways to get them away from the tough matchups. You know, it's, you know, the one thing that I'll say about, you know, throwing out McDavid and Dreisaitl together is you never have to worry about them seeing the opposition's best. Anyone who's coaching them, and trust me, there's been a lot of players to coach them, anyone who's coaching them can say, yeah, we're fine with that matchup, no matter who it is. Now, you want to get away from it, but you don't have to get away from it. Goudreau and Monaghan, you kind of got to get away from the tough matchups. There's other lines that can eat in the league that can eat them alive. They can't be trusted in their own zone. I thought Monaghan would be a more complete center at this point. And Monaghan's great. And Goudreau's great. I'm, like, I'm not trying to shit on them at all. But it's just they... Bill Peters needs their games 
to evolve. Their complete games to evolve, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, I mean, to say James Neal would never get that chance in Calgary, fuck that shit. Like, are you fucking kidding me, Eric? You're seriously trying to sell that to the fans? That if a guy can't, that if that same guy, if they would have got that same guy last season, he would have been on the top line. Part of the reason the relationship started so bad was because Bill Peters blindly put Elias Lindholm, his boy, in that spot rather than give James Neal the chance. That was part of the issue. And don't get me wrong, James Neal came in out of shape. He's admitted that. He came in out of shape. You know, Elliot Friedman's talked about how he, you know, his head was still in Vegas. He never wanted to leave Vegas in the first place. So there was some of that, but fuck, man. Had the Calgary Flames got the same guy this season that the Oilers got in James Neal, James Neal should have been in that top line spot. Let's not try to sell it that he shouldn't have. Fuck. And then have a Michael Froelich on the third line. I mean, Michael Froelich on the third line, that's, that's just gravy. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome. Instead, on the third line, you got Sam Bennett and Milan Lucic getting caved in every night. Ooh. So, kind of tough to sell Milan Lucic being this, this great get for the Flames when Milan Lucic is being what Milan Lucic was in Edmonton. Remember that night? Remember that last game of the preseason when uh, Lucic and Reeder were scoring for Calgary? And everybody, oh, look at the bad look this is for the Oilers. And I remember thinking, yeah, let's just wait till the games matter. Well, now the games have mattered and James Neal has scored seven goals and Lucic is looking awful again. And let's just make this clear. I'm pulling for Milan Lucic. I like Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic did not stick a gun to anyone's head and say, sign me to this contract. Milan Lucic does not have a shitty work ethic. You know, Milan Lucic willingly signed in Edmonton. He got similar offers elsewhere. He is one of the biggest free agent signings ever to come to Edmonton. That should not be lost on fans. So I know he's wearing a Flames jersey now. We should be pulling for Milan Lucic because he's a good dude. He's a good dude. He's never done anyone wrong in Edmonton. It's funny how the fans wanted to look for something, you know, with the comments about Giordano being a veteran captain. Yeah, fuck off. That's nothing. That is nothing. He wasn't shitting on Connor. Like, just save it. It's all good. Pulling for Lucic, pulling for Reader, pulling for Cam Talbot. You know, I jokingly said on Twitter last night, you know, goaltender getting beat up high, whatever I said, or high glove. You know, th- that was that was talking about how, you know, we still got Koskinen, of course. But, you know, Cam Talbot, good dude. Let's not forget he signed an extension in Edmonton. Let's never forget that. Cam Talbot got to Edmonton, and I remember hearing this story. I can't remember who told it, but when Cam Talbot first got to Edmonton, his plan was, I'm just going to go there and play my year, get my value up, and then I'm going to walk as a free agent. That was his plan. He got here. Him and his wife loved it. They signed a three-year extension. Cam Talbot, to my eye, 
looks like he's lost all his confidence and I don't think personally that that high event team in Calgary is where he needs to be to regain his confidence. First goal last night, that was a shit bounce for him. Brutal, 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 brutal. Because shit bounce, nothing he could do. First shot of the game goes in. I'm not even sure if they registered it as a shot because it wasn't technically a shot on goal. It just rebounded into the net off a skate or something like that. Yeah, it was it was tough break. Obviously, Oilers fans, you want to beat the Flames nonstop. I get it. Oilers fans, some of them want to see the Flames miss the playoffs. I kind of get that too. Uh, misery loves company sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's I have a tough time pulling against Cam Talbot, Milan Lucic, Toby Reader, like... You know, those guys didn't do anything wrong. It's not, it's not their fault. So, anyway. Okay, on to the Oilers. On to a 5-0 and hockey team. 5-0, uh, and and here's the thing. I said it eh, a lot leading up to the season. They should be first in the Pacific by the end of the month. So, 5-0. and I love... I, I read somebody... I read... Well, I read a few guys on Twitter this weekend saying, Ah... Anybody who had the Oilers 5-0, and uh, 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 right here, I'm raising my hand. You can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. I, I, I thought that they probably should be 5-0, yeah, because the schedule is super soft. They should win these games. These are winnable games. They should be first in the Pacific by the end of the month. Like I, I, I said that last podcast I did, I'm saying it this one. They, yeah, this, this isn't some miraculous feat. And in fact, being real honest, it's not to shit on any parades. Uh, they've been outplayed in three of the five games. Now, the good news is soft schedule. They need their confidence to get up. They need to learn how to play. You know, Dave Tippett needs to teach them how to get, you know, what they need to do better. So he needs to teach their his system and they need to work on things. So this is an ideal schedule to start. I don't think they play back-to-backs till the last days of the month. They play in Detroit and then in Columbus. Uh, you know, they catch Philly on a, on a second half of back-to-back. That's one team that they play that I had making the playoffs this season, me personally. Um you know, they're catching Winnipeg while Winnipeg has that depleted blue line. You know, later in the season, they might not catch Winnipeg with that depleted blue line. Dustin Bufflin might be back. Maybe they make a trade. All of a sudden, they've got three of a top four. You know, they're going to catch Pittsburgh first game in November. They're going to catch Pittsburgh without Malkin and Boogstad, but more importantly, Malkin. You know, that's Pittsburgh ran roughshod over Winnipeg last night, but... It's not. It's a very depleted Pittsburgh lineup right now and a declining team. So, you know, that's a winnable hockey game for the Oilers. Yeah, they, I mean, the only two, it, it's funny, Florida has got, and they're down 4-2 as we speak right now, they've gotten off to a horrendous start. Horrendous. That was one of the two games this month that I said for the Oilers isn't winnable. And by not winnable, I didn't mean they couldn't win it, but just that you wouldn't mark down as a win going like a game that they should win. Well, Florida now, the way they look, hell yeah, that's a game you should win. 
two days off before it, Sunday afternoon, last Sunday of the month, absolutely you should win that game. So there is one game this entire month that the Oilers, quote, shouldn't or isn't a should win, and that's at home against Washington, game they won last year with the worst team. And the game against Washington last year, they were a worst team and won. Also, Washington, or sorry, also the Oilers really outplayed the Caps that entire night. Ooh, 4-3 now, Jersey and Florida in the second period of play. Mike Hoffman with an assist. Vincent Trocek with an assist, as the Sportsnet ticker has informed me. Pavel Zaka with a goal and two assists. Big day for the big check. Taylor Hall, the former Oiler, with his first on the year and an assist in that hockey game. Also, Will Butcher with a goal in the hockey game. Jesper Bratt has a goal in this hockey game this afternoon. P.K. Vaughn has an assist in this hockey game, as does Travis Zajac. Back to the podcast. You're welcome for that update. Um, yeah, so it, it, getting in to the thoughts on the team, what we've seen so far. Uh, first things first, it's amazing. Who'd have thunk having speed and the ability to move the puck? That's amazing what that does for a team's, quote, work ethic. Just incredible. All of a sudden, the Oilers look like one of the hardest working teams in the league. I was watching Hockey Central uh, this morning with Jeff Merrick and Anthony Stewart, and Jeff Merrick started talking about, oh, the Habs outwork everyone in everyone they play. Why is that, Jeff? Could it be because they're one of the fastest teams in the league? Like, enough about how all oh, these plucky underdogs and their work ethic. No, it's they're fast. They win races to pucks because they're faster than the opposition. How is this lost on people? And I admit, it was lost on me for a long time. I don't understand why you wouldn't just build the fastest team you possibly can. And I think that's kind of what Ken Holland tried to do this summer. He did make the Oilers considerably, well, considerably faster, but faster. They're, they're, they're faster in two ways. They're faster because they can skate, and they're faster because they can move the puck a little bit better from their own zone. I said it to a couple buddies when Larson went down. This could be a blessing in disguise because Adam Larson doesn't move the puck very well, although it's funny because Adam Larson at times moves the puck insanely well. You know, when he gets a chance to get, make a stretch pass, Adam Larson can, has a hell of a stretch pass. But it's just Adam Larson doesn't always make the best decisions with the puck, you know, when he's under pressure, under duress, I guess you could say. But, yeah, it's it's amazing what that does for a hockey team. Um, you know, like one guy, yeah, it's funny in camp. I was hearing about, oh, Colby Cave looks good. Woo! Love me some Colby Cave. Colby Cave, that's your fourth line center right there. He's just hard working guy, hard working Western guy. Yeah, he just I like Colby Cave as a fourth line center. It's not to shit on Colby Cave at all, but like guys, and this is guys in the media, guys, this team needs speed. How is this lost on you? This bottom six needs speed. 
they get beat to pucks because they aren't fast enough to get to pucks. This is very simple. Oh, but Colby Cave. Oh, did you see his positioning on that one one shift? Did you see that? He made a tape-to-tape pass in the neutral zone that, oh my goodness. Shut up. Shut up. Gaetan Haas is far and away a better player for this hockey club. Michael Granlund is far and or sorry, Marcus Granlund is far and away a better hockey player for this club. Marcus Granlund hasn't looked great so far, but he's a better fourth line center than Colby Cave. Nothing against Colby Cave. There is a reason he cleared waivers. I was the not in any way shocked that Colby Cave cleared waivers. The only thing that was shocking to me about Colby Cave clearing waivers is that they didn't do it right after camp so that less teams would have room to fit him in. Because that's when you want to send guys down, is that right before the season starts so teams are apprehensive to to pick up players on waivers. That's why you see a lot of good names on waivers right out of, or, you know right before the start of the season and very few of them get picked up. Is because teams don't have the room at that time. But yeah, Haas, Nygaard, you know, Patrick Russell's look good. And again, he's not Patrick Russell's not the speediest guy. He's not a burner. He he doesn't have Josh Archibald skating, but Patrick Russell, another good, fine skater. You know, if Joe Gambardella gets another chance up here, good skating kid. Like, blows my mind that this is, oh, 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 they're hardworking now. No, they get to pucks now. Yeah, I, Ken Holland, I said it all offseason. Build the fastest team you possibly can. He didn't, but he came pretty close to doing that. Oh, Brett Connolly scored. Oh, it'd be nice to have him. Be nice to have that sniper on your team. Wouldn't it, Ken? Okay, I'm going to skip to it since I just saw that highlight of Brett Connolly scoring. They wouldn't go, was it three times four or four times four on Brett Connolly? But they wouldn't go a little bit more on Brett Connolly, yet they gave two years and two million per to Alex Chason. Brett Connolly, by all measures, was not a fluke last year. And in fact, by all measures, you're saying, if this guy gets some top unit power play time with McDavid and Dreisaitl, this kid's not going to get 22 goals. This kid might get 32 goals. He's that good. He's a solid enough skater. He's He's got size. He's in his prime. Ken Holland wouldn't go the extra extra mile to get Brett Connolly and then signs Alex Chason for what he did. Where the fuck does Alex Chason fit on this hockey club? And it's not to shit on Alex Chason at all. He's an NHL player. You might even be able to argue that he's worth $2 million. But was he worth $2 million to the Oilers? A team that was cap-strapped and ended up getting a ton of wingers that were of his caliber. Like, I don't get it. And you wanted to make your club faster. Well, Alex Chason ain't making your club faster. It's making them bigger. And Brett Connolly's not making your club faster either. But Brett Connolly's a much better skater than Alex Chason. I, I don't get it. As good as the Oilers look out of the gate in the top six 
looks pretty good. Man, it'd be sweet to have Brett Connolly in there too. It'd be really sweet. Have a second line of Nugent Hopkins, Connolly, and, and maybe Nygaard? That wouldn't suck. And then you could use James Neal on the top line? That wouldn't suck. That wouldn't suck at all. That would be pretty fucking deadly. But instead, instead they re-signed Alex Chason, and I just do not fucking get it. Like, it, it's a bad, it's, it's another bad contract. You know, it's, it was the same thing with Chris Russell with, and Peter Shirelli. Peter Shirelli found Chris Russell in, in the 16-17 season. Found him, got him for cheap on the UFA market right before the season started. Great find. Oh, such a great find. We better sign Chris Russell to a big, fat new contract. No, you go find another Chris Russell. Alex Chason, fine season. Shooting percentage was like 40% while he got 18 of his 22 goals. Or 20 goals or whatever he had. 40%. You think it might have been a hot streak, guys? You think? Why re-sign him? Why give him two years and two mil per? Like, you could argue both ways. Why would you give him two years? But if you're going to give him two years, why are you giving him two million per? Alex Chason is not as good a player right now as Josh Archibald or Patrick Russell. Well, he's as good a player as Josh Archibald and Patrick Russell, but he he doesn't, like, his size isn't needed on the Oilers. So Josh Archibald and Patrick Russell, in my mind, make the Oilers better than Alex Chason does. If you want a guy like Alex Chason to make the Oilers better than Josh Archibald or Patrick Russell would, then you go sign, I don't know, a UFA like Brett Connolly. By no measure was Brett Connolly uh, a fluke last season. And in fact, Brett Connolly has been the last, every year he was in Washington, on the third line. He was on, he was... He was averaging his goals per game uh, over 82 games would put him right around 17 or 18 goals every year. So he was always that near that 20-goal guy. And that's playing on the third line. Ah, that one bothers me a lot. I shouldn't be shitting on Ken Holland at 5-0 and right now. but that and, and I'm not meaning to. Ken Holland, I'm really pumped. Having Ken and A, I shit on the idea of Ken Hall and something fierce. But uh, Ken Holland, just having someone competent like Ken Holland in place over what they had in Peter Shirelli is a massive upgrade because Peter Shirelli wasn't just a uh, just the worst GM in the league. He wasn't just that. He was making them worse. By with every move, he was making them worse. I don't think Ken Holland's close to the best GM of the league, but Ken Holland makes them better. So that's such a 180 right there. Ken Holland's maybe, you know, 15th to 20th as far as top GMs go in this league. Like, conservatively speaking, that's probably where I'd rank him. And. But that's such a huge shift from the direction Peter Shirelli had them going. Huge. 
the job Peter Shirelli did, I uh, it was don't give me Mike Milbury in in Long Island. That it's not close. It is not close. You know, Milbury Milbury actually ended up doing some good moves for the Islanders. You know, look at that Mike Pekka trade. That was a damn good trade. The Yashin trade, yeah. That was pretty. That was a lot. Even at the time, I remember when that happened, and it was oh, Spezza, really. And then it got even worse when Chara turned into a Hall of Fame defenseman. I don't think at the time, in fairness to Milbury, I don't think at the time anyone thought Zdeno Chara was going to be close to what he became. I think people thought maybe a top four defenseman. The big carrot there was was Spezza. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, Ken Holland is doing a very good job and he has the clear direction for them. Uh, okay. Here, here's another thing though, that's bothering me. I saw today, Ethan Bear isn't even on the second power play unit right now. I, I Dave Tippett, and this is not to shit on Dave Tippett. You know, I mean, you know, not, I, I love the job Dave Tippett's doing so far, obviously. And, and what I really love about Dave Tippett isn't the breakout. It isn't the structure that he's bringing to the table. It's that, it's that firm but yet calm demeanor. You know, he... He's really steadfast in what he wants his team to do. He's a stickler for them playing a, you know as perfect of game as he can possibly play. Uh, but he's so he's calming influence. And that's Kenny Holland too. Kenny Holland is a calming influence. He is not going to panic. You, you are not going to catch Ken Holland panicking. You're not going to catch Dave Tippett panicking. And for the Oilers, being in a pressure cooker like Edmonton, this is what they need. They need that calming influence. Why Ethan Bear isn't on the top power play unit, let alone the second power play unit, I do not get for a second. This power play unit, I get that it is cooking right now. It is cooking with gas, as Bob Stoffer likes to say. I get that. Ethan Bear wouldn't just be a good guy to have on the point or another good option on the point like Clefbaum. Ethan Bear would be a weapon on the top power play unit because he can hammer the puck. He's pretty accurate with his shot. He's more. He's got better offensive instincts than Oscar Clefbaum does. He moves it better than Oscar Clefbaum does. Like he's more of a traditional power play quarterback, where Oscar Clefbaum's just—he's so stationary. And I do not get every coach the Oilers have had. Unfortunately, there's been a shit ton of them lately. They all prefer Oscar Clefbaum manning the point on the power play over Nurse. Last year, Clefbaum gets hurt. Nurse gets top power play. So what happens? Power play gets better. Right? Because Nurse can move. I think what they want is Oscar Clefbaum's ability to move the puck is better. And maybe, maybe they prefer his shot. 
you know, you can argue that Clefbaum's got a better shot than Nurse and Bear. And you can argue that Clefbaum moves the puck. Well, I mean, he's better better puck mover than Nurse, at least for stretch passes. Uh, for me, Darnell Nurse's speed is a much bigger weapon to have than Oscar Clefbaum's ability to move the puck. His mobility, his skating in general, his mobility, his, uh, you know, a nurse can fire it too. Nurse has a pretty good shot as well. And especially when it comes to zone entries, nurse is another guy who can gain the zone. Oscar Clefbaum, uh, you know, it looks like Kevin bringing in his chili to the office. You know, like when he's trying to gain the zone. A lot of the times, anyway. It's a disaster. There's nothing... Ooh, bad goal, John Gibson. There's nothing smooth about Oscar Clefbaum with the puck. Where Nurse, the one thing you can't take away from him, even the biggest detractors, Nurse can carry the puck as well as anyone in the league. Ooh, that's a hattie for David Pasternak. Of course, you know this as you're listening to this because it's past tense by now for you uh so yeah i i much prefer nurse on the top power play unit over clefbaum but i much prefer ethan bear over either of them on the top power play unit and i do not for a second understand if it's me i would have nurse manning the second power play unit bear manning the first power play unit and i don't think i would give power play time to clefbaum which would Probably the extra little bit of rest make him a little bit more effective during the game. Maybe you could lean on him hev- more heavily uh, in defensive situations or late in the game. Maybe you could lean on him more heavy. That's just me. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't get it, though. I really don't get it. You know, Bears type of guy, uh, when was last, you know, do you ever see Oscar Clefbaum sneak in off the point? Bear would give you that option all the time. You know, and, and not just do it blindly. Ethan Bear would do it intelligently. But Clefbaum is so stationary, man. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And it, and it makes me wonder, too, something I've been wondering about lately is, what are the others going to do on D long term? And I know it's real early. We're only five games into the season. But the way things are trending, you could make an argument that one of Clefbaum or Nurse is going to be expendable by next summer. By this summer, I should say. You could easily make an, make an argument right now that Larson and Russell are expendable next summer. That's probably what I would do. But like you think about it, Nurse looks great. Not good, great. Ethan Bear looks great. By the way, Darnell Nurse looks great. Big shocker. Who was the one that kept saying two years ago, sign this guy eight years, five mil, five to 5.5 million? Who kept saying that repeatedly because this kid just keeps getting better and better and better? Boy, you better hope that that Josh Morrissey deal isn't out the window. You better hope. Like, if I'm Ken Holland, I am beating down his door to sign him to a Josh Morrissey deal because I think you're looking, you're going to, by the end of the year, you're going to be looking more at a Jacob Truba type deal. Maybe you get the eighth year, but I think you're looking at $8 million. 
Think about that. Eight million per for Darnell Nurse. And are you really going to want to do that deal? You might, because of Josh Morrissey's deal and the fact that those two have been compared nearly their entire careers, you might be able to get him for that deal or something very similar. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, but yeah, the I mean, the Oilers is a great problem to have. This is what Ken Holland wanted when he's when he drafted uh, when he drafted Philip Broberg. Hey, the more defensemen, the better. The, the, that's just more ammo that I have to trade with. You know, and fair enough. The one thing you can trade in this league is defensemen. I, the the way I'm looking at it right now, if I'm this club going into next season, hopefully you get Darnell Nurse eight years times seven. That's I think best case scenario right now. And that's you know for a lot of people that oh my that's mm. and I mean yeah I said eight years times seven so, uh, yeah you you just you hope for that and. You keep Clefbaum. Clefbaum's got three years left. That's the one thing where you might look at dealing Oscar Clefbaum is three years left on that sweetheart of a contract. That's that's re that's huge value. And nobody let's not get this twisted either. When I suggest maybe they should trade Oscar Clefbaum, I, a I don't re you know. Hey, we still need Caleb Jones. Like, we're a long ways off here. We still need Caleb Jones to emerge or William Loggison to emerge. You know, we, we still need Nurse. We still need to be sure that Nurse is, this is for real. You know, he hasn't played a top team yet. So, they, it just, I'm, I'm spitballing here more than anything. And I'm as big an Oscar Clefbaum fan as you'll find. I've made that very clear over the years. But I'm just trying to think out loud of what might end up being best for the hockey club. When I say trade Oscar Clefbaum as a as a theory, I'm not saying, and this is where fans bug me so much, is as soon as you say maybe they should trade someone, the fans' reaction is, oh, what do you mean? You get nothing for him? No, dipshit. No, you fucking moron. I'm talking about trading him for a massive piece up front that you really need. Or maybe a superstar goaltender. I'm not talking about trading him for nothing. I don't believe, in fact, go one further, I don't believe you should ever trade anyone for nothing unless you absolutely have to. This was my point on Yesse Poliarvi is let him go to Europe for a year, maybe two. Let him dominate as he currently is and get his value up. David Pasternak now with four goals. <sighs> what a find by Marchand. That line is just so slick. It's, it's unreal watching them play. The spots they'll all get themselves in for tap-in goals, like Pasternak's fourth goal, was today, as I'm sure you've probably seen. What? Well, yeah, it was Pasternak. Oh, Hampus Lindholm again. Hampus, what the hell has happened? Get in front of a man. Literally just stands beside him. Oh, that's brutal. 
just brutal. Anyway, maybe the Ducks need Oscar Clefbaum, and maybe you get a guy like Ricard Raquel from the Ducks in return. Maybe that's the trade. Yeah, because Ampus Lindholm ain't doing it. Oi, oi, oi. Okay, but that's just that's just thinking out loud. If I, if we're talking about the Oilers' defense for next season, in all seriousness, um, obviously we have yet to see really what Adam Larson is going to bring to the table this year. So we don't know. But Adam Larson's only going to have a year left on his deal. And there's really no room for Adam Larson. It, it, barring Evan Bouchard really stunting in his development or Ethan Bear taking a major step back, there's no room for Adam Larson. So you're going to want to trade him. Clear that $4 million. Uh you're going to want to, in my opinion, you want to try and do everything you can to get Chris Russell off the books. That clears 8 mil. Uh, well, it clears about 6, really. Uh, you have to factor in replacements. That 6 million goes, most of it would probably go towards a Darnell Nurse extension, in my mind. Uh, yeah. But it also opens the door. Evan Bouchard, Ethan Bear, and and Matt Benning. That's a you know that was talked about a lot this this weekend. Lots of talk about Matt Benning. Uh, I'm wondering if we can all get on the same page about Matt Benning. Matt Benning is very worth his contract. He's very worth playing a regular shift in the NHL, but he has to be a fit. If he's playing with someone who can really move the puck or if he's on the bottom pairing, then he's a fit. Last year, the Oilers did not have any puck movers and had kids like Bear and Bouchard who would have been the best puck movers on the team who at this time last year, I was screaming, these guys should be in ahead of Benning because they can move the fucking puck. And this team is Desperate for puck movers. And yet, nothing. Like, and, and guys will point out, you know, analytics guys will point out, hey, Matt Benning's actually pretty good. Yes, Matt Benning is pretty good. But he doesn't bring the element to the table that the others, he's redundant. They have Adam Larson. They have Darnell Nurse. They have, they have Chris Russell. They have guys who don't move the puck well. The mix, I've said this for two years now, the Oilers' blue line, talent-wise, is pretty good. The mix is deplorable. And mix still matters. Florida now up on Jersey 5-4. Wow, John Hines might be in trouble there because this is a big year for the Devils. And... To come out of the gates the way they have and then blow a lead to Florida like they have? Ooh, that's that's troublesome for Jersey. Uh, me likes it because me still hopes that Ken Holland could somehow find a way to create cap space, $12 million, to fit Taylor Hall in. Doubt it. Doubt it, but, you know, I hope. I have my hope because when that cap goes way up, Taylor Hall at 12 million might be a pretty good bargain. 
Now the question is, Taylor Hall is 28 to start next season, or maybe he's 29. 29 in November, yeah, November 14th is his birthday. Might be 29 early next season. So do you really want to give seven years to a guy who's about to turn 29? Oof. I mean, Taylor Hall, the one thing about Taylor Hall is he can skate. He can skate. So he might not have much of a drop-off as we get into his 30s. But, yeah, might be best to stay the course. Anyway. Big Taylor Dolphin. But Matt Benning, yeah, it drives me nuts. So next year, the way I'd see the D, probably, you know, and I guess don't really worry about pairs or don't worry worry about pairs, maybe don't worry about where guys slot. Clefbaum and Bouchard, Nurse and Bear, and then hopefully Jones and, and maybe Benning, which... You know, kind of sucks that you're pissing away Logason, but you're going to have to do something or something. Like, that's where I get into, well, maybe they move Clefbaum out. But, I mean, you can't have a top four of Nurse, Jones, Bouchard, and Bear. Like, as much as I love those three kids, and as much as I love Darnell Nurse, Darnell Nurse is a number three and the kids are kids. <laughs> like, you can't really throw everyone to the wolves here. Uh, you kind of need a calming piece, uh, uh, close to a number one defenseman like Oscar Clefbaum is. Uh, kind of important. Jeez, I am, for the most part, I am actually staying on point on this podcast. As I do my regular look, 53 minutes. And I'm pretty much done. I've, yeah, I've pretty much rolled through. Um, you know, I, what else is there to say? I'm, I'm giddy on, I'm giddy on the fact that Ken Holland, there is a new standard for guys coming up. So Tyler Benson was ready in camp. I, I believe even their brass saw that Benson was ready, but was Benson ready to their new standard that they want to set? And the answer is probably no. Was Caleb Jones ready for their new standard? You know, Ethan Bear might not even have been ready to their standard, but they had to they had to have someone on that right spot on D, right hand spot on D. By the way, which doing those li- doing those D combinations, I didn't even you know put in Yoel Pearson. And another guy looks very good. Love how all the all the Europeans that they've that are in their first year pro hockey here. You know, Haas, Nygaard, Pearson, they're all trending the right way. They all seemingly are getting better and better and better to the point where I I do really wonder if Haas can maybe at some point emerge as as a quality third-line center. Yeah, I I see a lot of tools there to become that guy, but it remains to be seen. They do need somebody to emerge as third-line center. But, I mean, so far this year, the thing that does have me giddy about this team Everybody, everything they needed to go right has gone right. Goaltendings looked great. Defenses looked great. Bears emerged as a top four defenseman. Uh, the PK has been lights out. That's huge. James Neal has returned to form. You know, Oilers fans take flack for getting giddy about James Neal here in the last last week. But I think Oilers fans, is it's not so much getting giddy about James Neal and maybe scoring 40. Let's not get ridiculous. I just think it's the fact that, hey, 
we now have six point five million committed to a player who's worth six point five million. We're not burning that money anymore. With Lucic, it was being pissed away. Oh, Connolly's got two today. That's lovely. Um, but a total fluke. Total fluke last season. Just ask a lot of guys. He was a fluke. <sighs> By no measure, but, you know, they'd never heard of him before last season. So, you know, they want to deem him a fluke. Or they'd heard of them, heard of him and just wrote him off as a bust. Something like that. Not happy. Not happy about that one. But I am happy about the Oilers, and yeah, it's it's going good. It, you know, again, the schedule. Just keep in mind, this team should be leading the Pacific by the end of the month on November first. The Edmonton Oilers should be should be in first in the Pacific. This is not a hot take. This is how I felt entering the season, looking at their schedule. It is melted butter soft. It's basically it's basically butter that you put on popcorn, you know. I I was going to say at the movies, but it's just butter that you put on popcorn. Nobody ever puts hard butter on popcorn. It's always melted. Are you an idiot? Yeah, I just put a stick of butter in the popcorn. Did you not melt it beforehand? No. You just go butter on, you know, you just you just kind of scrape some off with each each piece of popcorn. Fuck Campbell. You're an idiot. That's anyway, the schedule is insanely soft. So let's get excited. They should win tonight in Chicago. And they should win against Philly. They should win against Detroit. This is not this is not something that is a miracle. This is not something that's shocking. This is they're playing teams they should beat. We'll get bigger tests at some point. But fans, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And happy Thanksgiving from Soups on Hockey. This has been the Soups on Hockey podcast. Glad you joined me. Hope you have a good Thanksgiving. Go Oilers, go. And I'll talk to you next time.